Welcome to your weekly dose of comedy with your host, Dana Pereira. Where's our participation trophy? guys, welcome back to another episode of Where's Our Participation Trophy. I'm Dana Pereira, and today we have a stand-up comedian and author and podcast host, Liz Mealy. Hi! (laughs) I'm actually shocked that you uh, had time in your schedule at all. You seem like you're doing a whole lot now. Well, I mean, I didn't for like a year. So, you know, that that gave me real practice at saying yes. Like, it, also, it was like really hard to say no last year. People are like, are you busy? And I'm like, all my tweets say I'm not. So <laughs> I guess I guess I'm not. Um, but I, I, I mean, I do make time like I, I actually always think this kind of stuff is important. And I've I've done everything from like podcasts that have three people to podcasts that have millions of people. And I think they actually all have value. But yeah. it is getting a little bit harder to like fit things in. Well, man, I'm really, really glad that you were able to fit us in. Uh, How does it how does it feel now that things are kind of opening back up and and you're getting your ass back on stage now? Good. I'm like so much happier. And like, I, I don't want to say I wasn't grateful before because I've always been grateful that my career is comedy and that, you know, while I definitely was very burnt out before this, and I actually was grateful for the rest for about a month. And then I was like, I want my life back. Um, I I'm when things started to open up, April 2nd is when comedy clubs in New York started to open up. And when I started to kind of tour a little bit, whether it was outdoor shows or like limited capacity. But I was like giddy all of April. Like, I mean, I'm hugging people I don't like. Like, I'm just like, I'm like, get in here. Let's do this. Like, just like, just I real like I felt so just excited to see my friends again, get on stage again, be you know, even it's limited capacity, it's not the same thing. It's just even just a small percentage of my old life back just I was so happy and I and I I'm still I'm bombing now so that's maybe less happy like you know what I mean I felt like for the first month a bomb couldn't hurt me or if things didn't go well the way I thought it would it wouldn't bother me as much but now like I bomb and I'm just like hey this is my dream I didn't get to do it for a year you'd be nice I keep telling people I'm someone's daughter I'm like you'd be nice to me I'm someone's daughter laugh at my jokes so I weirdly like I was like super sensitive during the pandemic where I'm like, what if I never get my career back? And then I started touring again. And I was like, nothing can hurt me. And now I'm like, I didn't live my dream for a year. You should be nicer to me. <laughs> and being a baby is really what's happening. I find it really difficult to think that you bomb whenever you're on stage. But I feel like every comic does, right? Like there's not a single comic that goes out there and doesn't fucking bomb. You should be scared if you don't, because two things are happening. You're either not even in front of your own audience, you should be always pressing the boundaries of what you're talking about and, and growing as a comic and a person that your audience is, there's always going to be a little bit of a disconnect as you're growing. So you're either not growing and you're just kind of placating your audience and you're not really saying anything new and you're not taking your ideas to the next level or just in general, you're just, you're not like, I would say even with your own audience, but you're not writing new jokes because I always say every three months I start bombing because I try to write about five to 10 new minutes. I would say every two to three months. It depends on how long the bit is. But so what I'll do is I'll have my ideas. I start to polish them. They start working really well. Then I put them on a shelf and I start working on new ideas. So I'm not, it doesn't make me feel like I'm bad at my job or a loser because I'm bombing. It means I'm trying something new. So 
yes, sometimes I bomb because I have a complete disconnect with audiences and they're not my audience, but more likely I'm bombing because my, my new, my ideas aren't fleshed out yet. They're not polished yet. So, I mean, right now I'm, I'm, I'm in between. I had a bunch of stuff during the pandemic I wrote and I was able to polish it a little bit on zoom shows and park shows, but it took a little while to polish them. But now I'm on my, my new, new ideas and I, there's, there's, there's still a little bit of work going down. So I actually don't see bombing as a, look, you're not talented. I see it as a, you're writing something new. You're pushing the boundaries of your own creativity. Yeah. And you're, you're not being afraid to suck at the new stuff. Yeah. And I, I yeah. that's my favorite part. I love when I, I have an idea, I'm not sure if it's there yet. And then I start doing it. And even if I have what I believe is four jokes in one little like bit, one does well. And I'm like, potential. There's, I don't need the other ones to work yet. This is, and it just gives me a little bit of hope. And then when slowly all four of them start to work and then they work every time, like I love that puzzle. That's so funny. Um, I was listening to your podcast earlier today. Sorry. And, <laughs> but it, it interested me because you were talking about the one that I listened to was you talking about being on like a writer's retreat and how, um, it takes you, typically a year and a half to write an hour. Yeah. That's that blew my mind. I had no idea that it was like so time consuming to write all of those jokes and get an hour's worth of material at a year and a half. That's a huge chunk of life. Yeah, and it's it's I think comedy is so slow. I think when it's done well, and don't get me wrong, there's it, it's all kind of based on how much stage time you have, how how often you can get on stage, the quality of stage time. You know, I'm getting better quality stage time 19 years into my career as opposed to five years into my career. So it's a lot easier and, and of, of course, experience and all that stuff. So there are comics that can write a new hour every year. And maybe as I get even more stage time and get even stronger, that might be true. But I've noticed in the last eight years it's like it takes me about a year to write it and then another kind of three to six months to polish it and then also smash it all together. Um, Cause sometimes I'm writing it 10 minute chunks at a time, 20 minute chunks. Mm -hmm. um, so even this year, everything was written in 10 minute chunks on zoom. That isn't a real read so that when I did start doing live shows, I had to refix the timing of it. I had to change some of my words. Some, some stuff did better than I realized. Some stuff did worse than I realized. So it's, you're in a constant trial and I'm focus grouping my material for a year so that when it is a special, that's why it's like doof, doof, doof. But like people don't really understand that like it, it's so, it takes me so long to take something that's 30 seconds. You know, some of my bits are five minutes long so that every line that I believe should get a laugh gets a laugh or the point of view that I want completely comes to fruition. Because sometimes I'm writing a bit and I don't actually know where it's going. Like the audience drives it in a direction that I didn't realize. And then sometimes I'm driving the car the whole time and they're like, I don't like this. And I'm like, you will like this. Like <laughs> I'm like, I'm the mom. Um, so it's, it's Get a little on bit board, of motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's a little bit of a push and pull where sometimes I'm like, I'm not really sure how I feel. And the audience kind of helps me navigate it. And sometimes I'm like, this is how I feel. And I just have to find the funniest way to get my point across because I know I'm right. So that all takes some time. And, you know, you really often go too far and say too much to then kind of get it back to the way you want it. The same way that like most movies cut scenes. So, a mo you know, let, let's say the movie's only supposed to be an hour and a half long. The budget's only an hour and a half long. 
people's attention spans only an hour and a half long. They overwrite and then they cut scenes. And eventually you're just like, we don't really have to say that we're saying too much or, you know, this scene's unnecessary or this is giving, this is a totally different story and we just need to cut that. And that happens a lot too. Yeah, man. So do you ever like sit in the shower? Do you have like shower notes where you're trying to like figure out a bit in your head? Um, I'm constantly, so it's, they're always in the back of my mind and I'll often have things like ideas or stories or things that happen to me that I have no idea what to do with them. So I'm constantly writing stuff down, but then the fleshing out of it, I, I run a lot. It often happens when I'm running. So I'll be like on my phone in the notes section in the middle of a run. I'll stop in the middle of a highway, just like, eh. um, I'm often leave, like leaving myself voice memos. Um, my favorite story is before, before like voice memos and iPhones, like when everything was like flip phones, I was driving somewhere to do a gig. I'm trying not to murder anybody. I used to have a pen and paper while driving. Um, but what I, what I often did is I would leave my, myself a voice message. So I would literally, this is like probably 10 years old. I left myself a voice message and then I was busy the whole weekend, probably took me four days. And then I go to listen to my messages and I'm like, what the fuck is my little sister saying to me? Like, I didn't realize you had the same voice. I had no idea. I, I did not realize, like, I totally forgot. Me and my, I didn't even know me and my sister had the same voice. And I was like, what is Emily's, what about bunny rabbits? Like, I was yeah. like, what is this? And it took me a little, I was going to call her up and be like, dude, are you high? Like, what is this? And it was a message. I, it was a joke idea. And to this day, I still don't know what I was talking about. That has to be like, cause I will wake up in the middle of the night and I'll roll over and just write myself a note about whatever it was that I was thinking in my head. And I wake up the next day and it's fucking gibberish. I'm like, yeah. what? I was like speaking German or some shit. Yeah. No, that happens a lot too. Or like something so genius. I leave myself this voice memo. Again, it always takes me a couple of days to go back and I'm reading it. And I'm like, this is dumb. Like this is like in my mind, it was so urgent. I turned off my favorite song. I'm like talking to myself in the car. I'm like, Psh, genius, Liz. And then I'm just like, this is really dumb. Like this is one of the dumber things I've said into a phone. I have to tell you the dumbest thing that I wrote down because I'm always trying to like come up with ideas also. And uh, the one night I was drunk. I was so drunk. <laughs> and I like pull out my phone. And I'm like, this is the best idea ever. And my idea was a show called The Flip Side. And what it was, was getting comics on and then talking about the tragedies that made them funny. <laughs> For whatever reason. I don't think that's too bad. <laughs> but who wants to hear about, like, tra like I'm trying to come up with a funny show. Nobody yeah, yeah, wants yeah. a downer whenever you're oh, no, trying yeah, to, like... It's definitely going to be a show where people cry. No, of Yeah. Course. And it's all because of a... A tweet that I had read a year or so ago that said, did you have a happy childhood or are you funny? <laughs> yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. I, yeah, I mean, it all, it, it all depends on people's motivation. I think people often like, I, you know, I can be on podcasts and talk and be funny, but I also like, I've dealt with my childhood trauma. I go to therapy. I read a lot of, you know, books dealing with, you know, emotional intelligence and my mind not being what I want it to be. So it's just like, there's sometimes where people listen, they're like, this isn't funny. And I'm just like, well, I'm not a jukebox. Like, <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like, you know, like, I, 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 I'm a person. I'm just not like, I also, those aren't my friends, like the comics that can't turn it off. I don't want to be around them. I want to have a genuine moment. So I have genuine moments with people. And then I also can just be the person that says the wrong thing at the wrong time as well, which is also my personality to be like, we're at a funeral. Jokes, jokes, jokes. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, um, if you ever consider doing the flip side, me and you can do that. Yeah, <laughs> first episode. I'll make everyone cry. <laughs> oh, me too. Um, so on your podcast, you started it right during quarantine. It was like something for you to do during quarantine. Yeah. I mean, I was really scared. And I didn't, you know, at the at first they're telling you it's going to be like two weeks, maybe a month, but I was really scared not to do comedy. I've done it almost every day for 19 years. And I was like, who am I without comedy? Am I going to sink into a depression? I definitely have issues with, you know, depression and stuff like that. So I was in the middle of a European tour. I was staying with actually my best friend, who's now my podcast host. And I was like pretty much getting on a plane and I was like, we should start a podcast. Like I was like, <laughs> I think we're going to be pretty bored. But we, you know, we've been best friends for 15 years. We have tons of inside jokes and we are constantly diagnosing each other. And like my parents are veterinarians. So I've always been like, I'm smart enough to be a doctor or I'll just ask my parents. And then she's the parent of immigrants. And I think they just never took her to a doctor. <laughs> so I think it was a mix of like, we're always like, so I like I, our first episode is on misophonia because I diagnosed her misophonia and it changed her life because she's always, if you don't know misophonia, it translates to like, um, the hatred of sound, but she gets ragefully annoyed by like the most innocuous sounds like gum chewing, toe tapping, pen clicking. But I mean, like crazy. And she's been my friend forever. And I would just, you know, I'm very easygoing. I was like, oh, I just won't chew gum around her or, you know, so I yeah. would always, but she would tell me these, and I'm also crazy in my own way. So she would tell me these stories. I'm like, just doesn't, I didn't want to judge her, but I was like, that seems like a lot of rage for something that's not that big of a deal. And then I read an article. This is probably like eight years ago now. I read an article and I was like, this is Maria. And I remember we're in a diner. It's when she still lived in New York. We're in a diner. I slid it over and I was like, don't get mad, but I think you might have this thing. And she read it and it was crazy. Like she just like her whole face changed. She's like, I have a thing. Like she just always thought she was like, there was something wrong with her. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that we kind of loved about doing this podcast was like, I've self-diagnosed myself. I've been diagnosed. I've, you know, I have things that are hereditary that my family has known about. You know, there's other things that I've learned about because my friends had it. And yes, having a diagnosis doesn't change anything. And sometimes there, even with the diagnosis, there's not much you can do, but just not feeling like a freak or like there's something wrong with you or you're alone. And it just, it changed her to the point where she now has misophonia jokes. She's part of misophonia groups. She's she wants people to know about it the same way that people know about OCD or, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, depression or any other kind of um, disorder. And and that's really what the inspiration was, is that like we've always figured it out on our own. And like we're very curious people that we're like, well, let's Google it. It's never like, <laughs> I guess we'll never know. I'm like, let's Google it. Let's figure it out. Oh, yeah. You get your doctorate from WebMD. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So are you guys going to continue it after, like, kind of when everything opens back up? Because I noticed the intro says a lot about coronavirus. Yeah, I guess we just didn't – we haven't switched the intro, um, just even though we're in our season two. Um, yeah, we're going to keep doing it. I, I hope to continue to – it's definitely getting a little harder to maintain, and, you know, we're figuring that out as we go. But, yeah, um, yeah I mean, really it's going to be a lot more hotel recordings and and – I would like to think it's also going to get more interesting because our the beginning of every episode is like, what'd you do this week? And in the beginning, it was like, I went for a walk with my yeah. boyfriend. And now it's just Netflix like... Netflix again. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, I was in Portland. I noticed this. I did that. Like, So what I'm hoping is like, we'll always have the medical side of it because it's it's called two non-doctors, but we'll also have 
the more curious side or like also like our Googles are like at first it was like very like hypochondriac. Like I noticed a, a, a mark on me that I didn't have last week because all I do is stare at myself. And now I'm hoping our Googles will also get more interesting because we're not just staring at each other yeah. every week. <laughs> Well, I thought it would be fun. I had asked my listeners to write in some stories about uh, ways that they hurt themselves that landed them in the ER, like nice. funny ways, though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this one says, I leaned down to kiss my sleeping girlfriend, and she sat up and broke my nose with her forehead. Oh, my God. <laughs> also, why is he doing, like, the sleeping beauty thing? That is so <laughs> – no more sleeping. That's what you get. For trying yeah. to non-consensual kiss your girlfriend. <laughs> Dude, and they have that whole thing now with Sleeping Beauty, and it's like a whole non-consent kiss thing. It, like, became a, a thing just, what, a month ago or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was also, I forget, this isn't my joke, it was somebody else's, but they're like, she wasn't sleeping. They thought she was dead. Like, it's even creepier, like, if you really think about it. But yeah, yeah. no, you know, no more Sleeping Beauty kisses, whether you think the person's alive or dead. Yeah, that is really creepy. But I feel like most fairy tales are creepy. Yeah, I agree with that statement. <laughs> that's 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 real. I actually had a story because I did a sex fails episode uh, a couple of days ago. And uh, the guy was going to reach for a condom or something like that. But his boxer shorts were around his ankles. And he tripped up and fell forward and broke his nose. No! <laughs> Also, like, yeah. what I'm learning from guys is they don't know how to, like, put their hands down. Like, what are, you, what are we doing here? Like, Yeah, it's not like your hands were tied or something. Or maybe yeah. he left that part out. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what you do in the bedroom is your choice. Uh, this one says, so I know a guy, allegedly me, who was given a giant bag of gummy bears by a woman, allegedly my wife, for Valentine's Day. And that man ate the whole bag in one sitting. And strained his temper, temporomandibular, he strained his jaw. We're just going to go with that. I need a degree to say that word. Yeah. Joint so badly that he couldn't chew without pain for three months. What? I'm actually impressed with that one. Like, that's, that's some dedication sitting there, like, getting your ass through that whole bag of gummy bears. Yeah. Also, it had to have started to hurt beforehand. Yeah. And he just kept going. He like went straight through the pain. He was like, I'm getting That's, through. This he's like, my, he's like, my baby gave me these gummy bears. <laughs> and the fuck if I'm not going to appreciate every single one in this instance. Oh, yeah. I, I can't disappoint her. <laughs> yeah, no. It's That's just Valentine's a good boyfriend. Day. Yeah. And, and think about it. Then after that, you don't have to uh, talk for three months. You can be like, mm, sorry, guys, I can't. I sprained my jaw. So I can't really talk. I think he lied. I actually think he he was fine. And that was like, he made that up. Yeah. He was like, I don't want to fucking argue with you anymore. Like, Spring sorry, jaw. babe. Sorry. I, I really want to talk this out, but I can't right now. Because I sprained my jaw. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this one's funny. My teenage son stuck his BFF's toothbrush down his pants, then told him that he did it. His friend kicked him and ruptured his spleen. <laughs> What? I just love your faces with all of these. Every time I read one, you go. <laughs> I'm just like, I think I, I don't, I have anger issues. I'm not going to pretend I don't have anger issues. I'm not going to pretend I don't binge eat. 
I'm not going to pretend I haven't kissed somebody sleeping. You're all right. I'm on the same page as all. I'm not going to pretend I'm better than anybody. But man, these are these are hard. These hurt. I feel your pain physically. Well, first of all, that's such a teenage kid thing to do. Like I remember my friends in high school humping each other. I don't know why they did it, but they were just like jump on top of each other on the couch and be like bang, 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 like hump each other. And I'm like, why? But why are you doing that? What is the point? Yeah, I'm also what I'm really noticing is that I'm not a physical like we did. I didn't grow up with like hugs or like physical touch. Um, so like when I'm angry, like so when I'm loving, it's it's taken me a long time to learn to hug my friends and be a touchy feely person. And then even more so when I'm angry, I I, I go inward. I don't go outward. So I, I to me, if somebody did that to my toothbrush, it's like I walk away and I never speak to them again. There's no, there's no, you know what I mean? Like there's no, nothing physical happens because you're dead to me, but like, like that's what happens. But I remember talk about like teenage craziness. This wasn't my story. My best friend, when she went to college, her roommate, I don't know, flirted with the boyfriend, slept with the boy, did something shady. This is her roommate. And so the girl peed in her contact solution. And gave her like the craziest eye infection. Like she basically peed in everything, like her shampoo, her what <gasps> that's how you know the difference between boys and girls. Like truly, like boys are like, I will hurt you now. And girls are like, I will make you regret knowing me. Like, and it'll be a slow but like I remember hearing that. I was probably 18 years old. She was like, Guess what my roommate did to this other girl I live with? And I was like, Oh, I'm I'm not that I would do anything horrible to anybody, but I was like, just in case I'm keeping my contact solution in my room because, I, you know, I was in college, too. I lived with three other girls and I was like, I don't know if people are vindictive. I had never heard of anybody doing anything like that. I was never taught to be vengeful. Like my parents aren't vengeful people. They are yeah. never talk to you again. They're Italian. I'll never talk <laughs> to you again. You're dead to me. But there's no you know what I mean? Like. There's no, like, you'll sleep with the fishes, like, the other sides of Italian. <laughs> or the old school where it's just, like, you'll never see me. You'll never get the pleasure of my company. Yeah. But, like, I really was. I was like, I didn't know people were mean like this. Like, I took all my bathroom stuff and I put it in my room when I heard that. I was like, oh, that's horrible. Oh. Yeah, see, my mom was very vindictive and very <laughs> vengeful. <laughs> and so she was always, like, a you come at me, I'm going to come at you 10 times harder, except I'm going to take out your family when I do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Bomb yeah. threats. Emotional bomb threats by your mom. Basically, yeah. So it took many, many years of therapy for me to, like, work that out and realize that you trust don't others have to, like, get people back necessarily. You can do what you do, which is the healthy way of doing things and just yeah. being like, no, thank you. I don't need that in my life. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. But I had a friend who put Nair in um, her roommate's conditioner. That's mean. No, yeah. that's mean, man. Luckily, the girl, uh, she could was smell all, it. She could smell it. Yeah. yeah. So I was going to say, that's a, that's a gnarly smell just in general. Yeah. Yeah. She caught it beforehand. She poured it out into her hand and was like, oh, okay, cool. So, I mean, she must have had a feeling that somebody was going to do some shit to her or something because I'm never like smelling my hand before I put conditioner in my hair. Yeah. But you can immediately tell. You're like, hmm. Yeah. Why does my scalp tingle? That's weird. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> uh, this one says, I broke my foot while trying to teach a bunch of teenage girls the Roger Rabbit while hosting a sleepover. <laughs> <laughs> the worst 
part was I was in my 30s and my sister was working the ER the next day when I came in and had her whole staff laughing at me. <laughs> oh, I love that. Look at that family. So cute. Uh, I don't remember the Roger Rabbit exactly. I remember like the Charlie Brown, I think it was. I don't remember the Roger Rabbit either. I, I like I the name. Yes, but I couldn't tell you how the dance goes. Yeah. I would also that. injure myself doing any dance at this point. Not a like, dancer? No. I, I, when TikTok first came out and it was all about dancing, I would like literally watch these kids and I'd be like, do they just make dancers now? Like, is that how it is? Like, everybody knows how to dance. And then eventually, like, old people came on and I was like, oh, I'm just in the wrong age bracket. Like, that's... Yeah. I fucking refused to join TikTok whenever it came out. I was like, I am 39 years old. Like, yeah. there is yeah. no way I'm getting on TikTok and doing, like, the sexy dance because yeah. I feel ridiculous. Yeah. And then I joined TikTok. But I don't do the dances. <laughs> Same, same. I mean, also the pandemic kind of, I think it sped up the trajectory of other age groups doing other things on it. So, and the cool thing I will say about most apps is they learn your, your algorithm and your interests pretty quickly. But what was crazy is I joined it very quickly. It's all cat videos and like stand up comedy and like, you know, I like pottery and art and stuff like that. But I remember one night, you know, totally just wasting time because I had nothing to do. And there's this girl dancing and I hadn't gotten a dance video in months. And I was like, oh, something funny is going to happen. And then she's still dancing. And then the video ends. And I was like, I just watched a 14-year-old girl dance. <gasps> and I've never felt grosser. I was like, oh, my God. I literally was like, because at first I was like, I, the algorithm has changed. It's all cat videos. So this must be funny. And then it was just me watching a 14-year-old girl dance. And I was like, great. Never going to go on this app again. I feel like a pedophile. You get a knock on your door and Chris Hansen's offering you lemonade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, I didn't know. I thought she was going to trip or something. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I can't do that shit. Um, I do like TikTok now. I do think that it's fun now, but the I still stay away from the dancing parts. No thank yeah. you to that. Yeah, no thank you. Uh, <laughs> I apologize in advance for this one. A well-dressed woman required removal of a cucumber from her vagina. The vacuum effect makes it very hard to remove. Forceps just broke off some seeds and chunks. <laughs> I finally had to have her bear down and said, push, to deliver it. <laughs> the next day, the nurses put a dill pickle on my desk. <laughs> what? have stories like this all the time in the ER, right? Like Oh, ER. I read I've read a couple of like ER books like from the UK to 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 the US. And like that's what's so funny about all these ER shows are always about drama and people making out and like, you know, whatever. So it's either like just like, oh, what is this disease like house? We'll never figure out what it is or you're super smart or it's like people making out in a break room and you're like, just tell us about the stuff that's in people's asses. That's all yeah. I want to know. I want to know the weird know. stuff that's in people's asses and how they got to the ER. I want to know. Did they sit on it? Did someone drive them? Did they get an Uber? Did they yeah. say anything to the Uber? I have questions. Could you imagine being that Uber driver and like somebody crawls into the backseat of the taxi, like on all fours? Yeah. Like, I need to go to the ER. She <laughs> they has. They won't sit on their ass. She has a cucumber in her vagina. How did she get there? Did she walk? Did she? What happened? How did she get to the ER? Oh, my God. I don't know. But she had to deliver it. She legit had to give birth to a cucumber. How do you ever eat a salad again? <laughs> you don't. Right? You are a carnivore from now on. 
Oh, God. And and I love that uh, doctors and nurses have this story forever. Like, that has to bring a lot of people joy. Every Christmas party or, you know, company dinner or whatever, it's it's joy all around. Like, I just, it's the potential of, like, every time you find out a coworker's going on a date, they just hand a cucumber. They're like, just in case he doesn't call you back. Yeah. <laughs> This one says, I was carrying Christmas decorations down the stairs, and I tripped over my wife's shoes, and I fell like a mighty oak. I landed on her crafty wooden Rudolph planter and had my ribs punctured by the wooden antlers. Oh, my God. We were both laughing so hard, I didn't realize that my left lung was actually collapsing from being punctured. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's like out of a movie when somebody like falls on like a like a, a fence or something like that and they're just punctured and they're still talking and you're like, how is that possible? And then they die. Oh my yeah, god. And then they die. <laughs> it's and then less they die. funny when they die. <laughs> I like the idea that his laugh breaths are him laughing. And they're like, Oh, you should have it's so funny how I just died. Oh god. <laughs> well, I mean, we know that he lived because he was able to submit the story. So that's he, that's the positive. He could still be in the hospital. We don't know anything. We have no idea where he's at at this moment in time. <laughs> That's crazy. I am always afraid of stuff like that happening because I'm clumsy for one. And I could just see myself like um, I talked about this on another episode before, like people that fall and they fall like on a pen right in the right direction. And it just like goes straight into their brain or yeah. something. Yeah. No, that sounds like something we would do. Like it's it's I have the kind of luck where it's I'm not hitting a lottery jackpot anytime soon. But this one in a hundred billion chance of getting a bick stuck in my eye, like, yep, that'll happen. <laughs> I've always said, like, I'm, I just want to die cool. Like, I want it. That's I want it to be badass or mm -hmm. like unique. Like, I I started telling people as like I've done stand up long longer and longer. Like, if I died on the way to that gig, would I be embarrassed if they found out how much money I was making? <laughs> because you know what I mean? Because we get paid such garbage and you're driving four hours and da, da da da. So it started to be a barometer of should I say no to this gig? So it's just like it's a hundred dollars in Bumblefuck, Pennsylvania, where you're going to be at like, you know, some club that you know you're going to bomb at. No, that's that's not worth death. But then fast forward. This is like three years ago. I was in Thailand and I, I, I was traveling on an Uber scooter in Thailand and people are like, that's so dangerous. And I was like, yes, but if I die, how cool? How cool is my story? How did she die? She was on an Uber scooter on her way to her gig in Thailand. Yeah, you want to be me? Yeah, yeah you want to die the way I died? I feel like your way of dying would be much cooler than mine. Mine would be like she was on her couch watching another episode of Friends and she choked on a Cheeto or something like that. <laughs> That's why you gotta do that self-talk as you're as on your second bag of Cheetos. You're like, is this how I want people to find me? Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> me, but they're so good. You, you do you. I, yeah. I promise to respect any way you die. And I refuse. Like I will watch Friends over and over and over again until the day I die. I don't care if I'm 80 years old and I am still rewatching the same episodes of Friends. I will rewatch them. I will say them verbatim. I love them. Did you watch yesterday? I didn't. I didn't. I'm not. My sister's there. I'm not really there. But I respect, like, to me, it's 
my friends is like a 30 rock or like I have certain shows that are like, it's just, it's comfort food. Like mm-hmm. if I start to have a panic attack, I'll go watch an episode of 30 rock because it calms me down. Like how weird is that? And I've seen every episode probably as much as you've seen friends, but I think everybody has that show that you're like, I don't care if people walk away from me and think I'm weird. It makes me happy and I don't need you. Yep. Yep. How I was it, like by so. the way? Was it? it was I, so good. Oh, it that's was good. So good. I, everybody kept saying, like all over Twitter and everything, they were like, oh, I hope this lives up to the hype. But for me, there wasn't any way that it couldn't live up to the hype. It was all of them in the same room and they were like rehashing things and spilling secrets and stuff like that. Like I was crying and I was laughing and my husband was like, I got to go. Like this yeah. is too much for me. <laughs> It's weird because I think it's taken off. It's taken on the vibes of like a soap opera. Like, cause people that love soap operas, they love the soap opera itself. They love the history of the soap opera. Then they love the individual people. And then they kind of follow the individual actors no matter where they go. And I think there's something about that show that's taken on these, the, the same, um, passion as a soap opera where like before I probably would have been like all right guys it's just a show that's over dramatic or it's just a show that has the same lines over and over again but I think it really has because of uh, not well streaming a little bit but because it being syndicated and then streaming Mm -hmm. and then just how life kind of pushed it for I think it just it's now soap opera vibes where like they can do no wrong yeah yeah definitely in my eyes I'm like they are my friends My my teenage boys, I'm like, come here, guys. Let me tell you about my friends. See, that's that's Ross and that's Rachel. Ross thinks they were on a break, but Rachel. <laughs> I will say this. This is my only kind of friend story. I was an intern at Conan when I was 19 years old. And uh, yeah, 18 or 19. I'm pretty sure I was 19. And I had to go on a, a, a thing. It's, you know, the, it, was in, it was when Conan was in 30 Rock. So I have my little lanyard and it says Conan on it. And it has all my information on my little lanyard. And I'm on the subway going somewhere. And um, the subway's like a little packed. And there's a guy sitting on, on the chair and I'm standing up. And he's turning around. He's looking at the maps. And then I guess my lanyard, like when he turned around, he could see it. And he's like, oh, Conan. He's like, you work at Conan. And I look and it's um, David Swimmer. Swimmer, ah, swimmer, yeah, swimmer. And he looks at me and he goes, "Hey, do you know how to get to Spring Street? I'm a little lost." And I was like, <gasps> "Yeah, you're on the right train. You're just gonna get off at this stop, like this next stop over here." And he's like, "Oh, thank you so much." And so we're just kind of, he's just kind of sitting there. I'm just kind of looking, and he's like, "Do you like working at Conan?" I was like, "I do." He's like, "Conan's really nice." I was like, "I've never met him. I'm just an intern." And he goes, "Oh, he's really cool." And then, and then I was like, "Why are you on the subway?" Because <laughs> this is. What year is this? If I'm 19, this is like 2004. So I was like, why are you on the subway? He's like, oh, it's just faster. And, you know, I'd only lived in New York for a year. And I was like, okay. I just thought, like, if you could afford taxis, you take taxis. But I was like, okay. And he was so nice. And then I had to go to, like, my intern advisor. And I was like, I talked to David Schwimmer. He told me to tell Conan hi. Can you do that for me? I've never met him. Uh, David, do you know who you are? Why are you here right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that I worked for God. And Conan was very nice. I met Conan on my last day of being an intern. And I was like, he was like, oh, nice to meet you. And I was like, I don't work here anymore. I leave tomorrow. And he's like, good luck with your life. And I was like, thank you so much. Um, and everybody on staff was like super nice. It was like a great work environment. But it was just so funny where like this guy's like, tell him I say hey. And I'm like, yeah, my buddy Conan. My yeah. friend Conan. My neighbor Conan. Yeah. Uh, so do you have a person, like who is your, uh, like big fish? Like who is your comic that you just like fucking fangirl out over? 
they're all dead. We don't live very long. Um, like I love and still quote, like the way you talk about friends is how I probably talk about like Mitch Hedberg. So he died probably when I was in college. So he probably died 2004, 2005. Uh-huh. Um, um, Actually, maybe, yeah, 2004, I think it was. So Mitch Hedberg, I loved, I still quote, I bring him up. He's like, he's the best way to explain how jokes work. I just, I saw him live when I was probably 15 or 16. So Mitch Hedberg, Greg Giraldo also died. He probably died like five years ago or whatever. Same quote him, best person to explain what a good joke is. Uh, I didn't get to like physically meet any of them or really work with either of them. So there's a part of me between growing up with them and then, even the fact that they're not making new work, just, I just feel like I might not be able to contain myself if I had met them. Um, but for the most part, I've met a lot of the people I've looked up to. Like I've been really fortunate. And that was almost like a goal of mine when I started as a teenager is I just wanted to be able to go see comedy whenever I wanted to and like not have to pay for it. That's how, you know, like you're making teenager dreams. You're like, I want to see comedy all the time and then not have to pay for it. And then I accomplished that. And I was like, I really need to set bigger goals. (laughs) This is maybe pay my own bills. Like, um, but yeah, I've gotten to meet and, and, and there's people that like my heroes like my comedy or like have retweeted my stuff. And I just feel really fortunate that like, I'm at a place where like the people I looked up to grew up watching like what I do. So I, I don't fangirl as much. I would actually fangirl non-comedians. Like I love, uh, Brene Brown, like, Ooh, I think she's yeah. incredible. And she's one of those, like, if you could have lunch with anybody or dinner with anybody. And then Katie Porter, who is, uh, I forget what representative she is. Um, but she, I, I just love her brain and how she like in politics, just she's so smart and just logic kills every asshole that's making yeah. shitty policies that I just, there's a couple of like badass women that I just like, just, I just want to be around them and like soak up their badassness. Yeah, I feel that. Um, one of my uh, big ones that I loved for comedy was George Carlin, and I just fucking adored him. He reminded me so much of my dad that, like, whenever he died, I was like, oh, I was like gutted whenever yeah. he passed away. <laughs> and he's he's actually one of the people I wrote to him when I was 15 years old, and so we corresponded via phone and uh, letters, and then emails. I had lunch with him when I was 19. Actually, when I was Shut an intern at when I was an intern at Conan, I had to ask my my intern advisor if I could go have lunch with George Carlin because that's when he was going to be in town. Um, but I corresponded with him until the day he died, and he was super supportive of me and always answered my questions and stuff. He is by far one of the kindest people I've ever met in my life. I swear on my life, I didn't read any of that or anything like that. I don't even know if it's out in the interwebs, but like I'm I'm fangirling right now over you, over him. <laughs> yeah. There's a great I, – I talked about it maybe like six years ago in a Guardian article. So if you put in my name – guardian um you can look up like because he was it really was like i wrote to like 40 comedians because my dad told me when i was a teenager because i had told him i wanted to do stand-up i started when i was 16 but he told me if i want to get good at something i should ask the people that are already doing it how they did it so i spent months you know this is i'm 15 this is 2000 99 2000 so i'm just like you know I'm trying to find out where people live. If they have emails, I'm looking up like the homes of stars. Like I was, I hand wrote letters. Like I was just doing whatever I could. I emailed some people and the only people that got back to me was Judd Apatow. And this is way before like freaks and geeks, Judd Apatow. This is like, 
I mean, not way before uh, 40 All Virgin. This was like around yeah. Freaks and Geeks time. Um, and I actually just got to talk to him recently and I told him that story. Um, and he was like, I hope I was nice. I was like, you were very nice. Um, so cool. But George Carlin, he called because it was just easier. And it was like, and at first, you know, there's a lot of mental illness in my family. And I was like, did this actually happen? But you know what I mean? I was like so scared that it didn't actually happen. But he always got back to me. He was always super supportive. And everybody I know that has met him, whether it was in the 60s, 70s, all the way until he died in the in the 2000s, every person has a story about what an angel of a human he was. Everybody will uh. talk about brilliance and blah, blah, blah. That's undeniable. But like truly treated everybody the same and kind with kindness it was amazing you know i'm going to like be on this high for a while now like this smile i'm like my heart is just so happy over hearing all of that i'm i love that that's really awesome yeah Yeah. um so you have a book that you've come out with yeah tell us about that yeah so um you know, it kind of, everything about it was very serendipitous because I have a lot of friends that are like, I want to write a book too. And I was, and they're like, how'd you do it? And I was like, I think it's supposed to be really hard. And I got like the very nice route to it. Um, but basically it's called Why Cats Are Assholes. And I have, uh, both my parents are veterinarians. I've always been a little bit of a cat lady. Um, I love cats. My mom's a cat specialist. And so I have a lot of jokes about cats, but from the perspective of like, I love them, but they're the worst. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like a very yeah. honest, it's almost how people talk about their kids. Like I, I, of course I want them, but you know, don't have them if you, <laughs> if you can avoid it. Um, so I had all these jokes about cats and I had this joke from my first album. I forget what I titled it, but it was something that like everyone's one bad breakup away from owning a cat. And <laughs> you know what I mean? And the whole premise is like nobody, nobody like buys a cat like something bad has to happen to you and then they kind of fall into your life and it really came from the perspective that like every comedian every guy friend I had was getting cats and it was always after a bad breakup it was always after their life was in shambles and it was like and it was always like oh I found it behind an Arby's and you're like (laughs) there's people that buy like four thousand dollar dogs and every cat is like oh yeah it was like roaming around and I named it and it's mine now um uh so so I wrote this joke. And so basically this uh, editor um, who has two cats with his wife, uh, his name's Jason Katzman. And that's just the best on top of it. Like his name yes, is Katzman. It is. I was like, I was like, you know, I was like, how did this come about? But um, he saw the joke. He really liked it. He had had an idea that he wanted somebody to write about cats, like an honest perspective of them, but with with love. And that's kind of what the perspective I always had about cats. And so I pitched him how I would write it. He liked it. And then it just got picked up. Like it was a very, like, that's just not how you write books. But, um, I was very, I was funny cause I was just starting to like lessen my chewing to write this book. And then the pandemic happened and I was like, Oh, I have all the time <laughs> in the world to write this book. So it was basically the beginning of the pandemic to, um, uh, the summer I was writing and editing it. And then it kept getting pushed out. It was supposed to come out in November of 2020, but between like shipping issues and COVID stuff and everything mm-hmm. was pushed behind. Um, it didn't come out until March of this year, but, um, I'm really proud of it. Like, I don't, I've, I went to school for writing. That's what I went to school for in college. And I clearly do some form of writing with comedy, but like my bits are 30 seconds to four or five minutes long to sit down and write this book was really daunting. And I'm dyslexic. We, we talked about that a little bit before the show started. So like, I'm, I write a lot, but I don't like people seeing my writing. And when I got this book deal, I was like, I'm dyslexic. And it, he's like, it's fine. I was like, okay, but like, 
you're going to have questions. And I remember during the editing process, he was like, Liz, what's this word? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I literally, I was like, I would look at it and I'd be like, I think I have to rewrite it because I don't know what I said. I have no idea what I wrote. You need to get like another dyslexic person to come and like decode it. <laughs> Pretty much. And, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, it does seem right. But yeah, there was like, I did my best. I, I actually talk to my phone a lot whenever I'm writing. I'll be like, how do you spell appreciate? And then that's, but like a lot of times it'll autofill and I'll be like, that seems right. And it's like <laughs> not the right word at all. Um, so there was a lot of that. So he was very patient with me and I'm very grateful. Um, but yeah, it's just like the history of cats. Like I got really dorky into it where it's like, it's to me, it's like 200 pages of cat jokes. So it's like the history of cats and, you know, you know, why certain cats worship them like Egypt or how Japan is um, to like opinion pieces of like how to name your cat. And, you know, uh, are you an inside or outdoor person? Just like if you're an indoor and outside cat, like so there's like you can learn stuff from it, but it's also really silly and ridiculous. And it was just fun. I, I have to say I'm like. It's the only thing I know anything about. So, <laughs> do you have any plans on writing anything else? I hope so. I've always wanted to write. Like, I love memoirs and I love essays, and I like I love David Sedaris or Augustin Burroughs and like that kind of like honest. And I would say even my stand up is a little bit in that vein, where it's just like really honest, brutal, funny, ridiculous perspective of your own life and your own situation. So, I would want to do something like that as well. Um, but I don't. I don't have, I think most people are like this, that they're like, if someone wants me to write a book or it happens, it'll happen. And that's not how books happen for the most part, <laughs> unless you become famous. Um, so I do think I want to write more books and this gave me the confidence to continue to write more books, but I'm more writing scripts right now. So I've written uh, two full pilots, one that's being hopefully shopped around and somebody will care about. And then I'm writing, awesome. and I'm writing another pilot. And most of my pilots are like half hour comedies. And now I'm writing more like a a dramedy and it's an hour show. And so this long form of writing is giving me the confidence to do a form of long form of writing that I haven't before. So I'm doing more like screenwriting. And I think when I get that out of my system, another book hopefully will be on the horizon. That's so cool. So do you plan on acting in these things as well? I would like to, I, I, you know, I would say my abilities are moderate. I don't think I'm, you know, I audition for stuff. Um, I, I've auditioned more now because I have people that can get me auditions. Like I have agents and stuff. Um, but when I was doing everything myself, especially in the beginning of my career, they tell you, you kind of have to pick a lane. Are you going to be a comedian writer? Or are you going to be a comedian actor? And it was so much easier and it was so much more fulfilling to be the comedy writer. So that's why I wrote this animated script that I turned into a web series. It's why I wrote this other pilot that I'm having pitched around because I didn't have to wait for anybody to choose me. I didn't have to look a certain way. I just could write about what I wanted to write about when I wanted to do it. And I wasn't waiting around to be chosen. So I, for me, I would like to be some part of it. Uh, but if I'm not, I also want my writing to shine the best they can. And there's clearly much more talented actors out there than myself. Yeah. Um, so you're opening back up, you're going back out on tours and stuff like that. Where can people go to see you? Oh, so I'm, I'm, I'm out there. I'm out and about, I don't know when this comes out, but, um, I'm right. Like, so all my tour dates are on my, my website, but like, Brooklyn and Arlington, Virginia, Texas. I'm doing a bunch of stuff in Texas, uh, St. Louis, Kansas City. Like I'm all over the place. Um, it's slowly like it's a little like to the point where some I posted my tour schedule like yesterday, and people were like, "This seems incomplete and all over the place." And I was like, "I'm working on it. Like <laughs> I'm doing the best I can." You know, 
I had to, I booked some stuff and then I had to take it back because they were like, oh, we're only outdoors. And if it rains, we don't have a backup plan. And I was like, okay, I'm not doing that. Like, like I can't pay for my flight and hotel and then show up and not have a show. So things are just like a little weirder and every state has different rules. Yeah. So it's just a little more choppy and it seems like it's going to be more flowing in the fall. Like I can see things are starting to come together more September on. So it's a little mm-hmm. bit choppy, but everything's on my website, lizmealy.com and I'm, I'm adding cities and hopefully we'll be near you telling cat yeah. jokes. Well, I mean, if you are ever in San Diego, hit me up because that's where yeah. I am. <laughs> yeah, I would, love to, I would love for you to come and out. And I would love to fangirl in, in that front row and just like be the loudest laugher out there. <laughs> that's what I want to hear. Oh, uh, thank you so much for coming on with me. It was really fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. And guys, if you're watching this on YouTube, you know, hit the fucking like button, will you? Like, just come fucking on, do it. Just you do know? it. And Don't be a uh, dick. If you're, yeah, don't be a dick. And if you're listening on Apple, rate and fucking review, guys. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Yes. Like, don't be a dick, all right? Don't be a dick. I like how they right. just have two women being like, pick up your clothes and fucking <laughs> like and review my shit. <laughs> now, damn it. And hey, as always, even if you are not nailing it this week, you're still going to get that participation trophy. See ya. See ya.